0: Thank you so much, Pastor Ralph, and I just love being here, and I love, uh, yeah, I, I I just, I love even all staff, and today I look out, and I just see all these people here that are in my heart, and that I carry, and I just I just want to say thank you for loving us as well, because that's that's really been a blessing to us, and uh, we found a place here. I'm going to sit down, if you don't mind. This morning, I'm going to start by telling you something we did back in the late 1900s, not the early 1900s, um, but late 1900s, uh, early 2000s. Faith and I actually led a discipleship missions arts training program. We couldn't decide what we really wanted to be, so we did it all. Um, and uh, one, one of the things is, is it was really focused on young adults and, uh, and college-age people, although there were a couple of people that did show up that were my age that were really wanting to see something happen and see something go on in their life. And one of the things that we would do at the very beginning of every time we started the program was we would ask people, why did you want to be part of this program? And it's a great question when you're starting something because you start to be able to understand what each other's heart is. And we get lots of really interesting answers. We get things like, I want to learn more about the Bible. I want to become a missionary someday. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to learn how to use my artistic ability to serve Jesus. Right? Those, those were pretty good things. But in all the years that we did this, there was one answer that has stuck out in my brain. One thing that's just kind of carried me, and it came from this young girl. she just graduated high school, and she was not from our church. And so she was a little nervous, and she was kind of like, like sitting in the back, a little bit cautious. And when I asked the question, and it came up to her turn, this is what she said. My uncle told me that your church was the church with all the stories. I came here because I want to be one of the people with all the stories. And we did what you just did now, just sat there and went, whoa. And actually, as we went through the year, everybody made a decision from that moment on that we wanted to be one of the people who carried, who had, The stories and whatever we were doing, whether we were praying together, we were studying the Bible, we were going out on outreaches, we were traveling, we were getting in the van, we were preparing for things. You'd hear it. I want to be one of the people with the stories. And, you know, over the years, one of the things that I've realized is that there are three real big questions that we all face and that we all fight together. And the first one is this, the fear of death. Right? I'm not going to go into all these today because we could be here forever. Um, the second is the fear of being found out. And the third is the fear of being inconsequential. Now, I tend to read some of the books of the Bible that other people will avoid. And one of those books is the book of Ecclesiastes. And I get it. Any book that starts off with the words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, you probably want to just give that a hard pass, right? Uh, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's the... Uh, You know, you think, well, that's the thesis of this thing. I'm not sure I want to go any further. But one of the things I find that it's really good for is we all have to kind of wrestle with that existential angst that we have. And, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is really good at working through all those issues of life that we actually have to face, right? And, you know, I, I think it's really funny. You look at all these 19th and 20th century philosophers who think they came up with existentialism when... We've got Solomon writing about it 3,000 years before. And, you know, I, I think really one of the big questions that all of them and that Solomon wrestled with is this. At the end of my life, will my life have counted for something? Right? And one of the things that I've found is that the people with the stories, even if other people don't know about them, can sit back at the end of their life, and recall those moments and say to themselves, I made a difference. And the problem is is that most of us look at our lives and we have trouble finding the story. We have trouble looking at it and then we start freaking out because we're not sure that we can even find a story. Or worse yet, we look and see that we had a story that we screwed up, right? And you know, I guess my question to myself is how do I become one of those people? with the stories how can I know that my life counted for something and I want to actually start today by looking at someone in the Bible whose story was over and his name was Moses he was 80 years old okay so I mean this is about the time you're wanting to settle down he was a sheep farmer and back in the day he probably had about 100 120 sheep or so that he kind of took care of and he was probably thinking about handing his sheep farm over to his sons and uh, maybe getting a nice little condo on the east shore of the Red Sea, and just kind of settling down for a while. I mean, it, it's been 80 years after all. He deserves a little something. And here he was in the middle of nowhere with these sheep. And he had a great promise as a young man. I mean, if you had talked to him or someone had come and met him when he was 80 and he said, well, you know, I was actually raised in Pharaoh's household. I was educated at the finest schools in the most advanced culture of my day. I was a convincing debater who swayed the opinion of the Egyptian government. I was a great general, and I was actually the person who was going to become the next pharaoh." And here he is, 40 years later. And he looks back, and he sees the one moment where he messed up. See, when he was 40 years old, someone had come and told him, you know, Moses, you're not really Egyptian. You've been adopted. And you know what? There's a prophecy about you that you're going to deliver your people, the Israelites, you know those slaves, some of the ones that you even have that are serving you that maybe you have not been so kind to? Those are your people, and you're gonna be their deliverer. And you know that that went to his heart, to his head, because there was truth in that, because that's what God had spoken. There was something about that because he knew that that was to be his story, to be the deliverer of a people. But the thing is, is he got frustrated, he got angry, And when he saw an Egyptian taskmaster who was beating on some Israelite slaves, he actually killed him. And to make it even worse, he was ridiculed by the people he was trying to save. And then he realized there was nothing he could do, and he became a fugitive. I mean, if if we had Egypt's most wanted, he would be there. Uh, For all you historians, he was going to be on the first show of copts. With a T. And, uh, you know, everyone around knew his face. I mean, he was famous all over the place. Everyone knew what he'd done. And so he did the only thing he could do. He ran. And he ran. And he ran. And he ran. And he ran. As far as he could get away from Egypt, on the other side of the Red Sea, into the land of Midian, outside the Roman Empire where no one could find him. And now, 40 years later, here he was. Instead of commanding an empire, he was working for his father-in-law. The only troop he ordered around was a 100 or so sheep. The only decisions he influenced was which watering hole they'd go to next. He had, become, move, he had moved from becoming an important person to a nobody. And this is where I want to pick up his story, because something really crazy happened. And if you look in Exodus chapter 3, and the first, uh, the second and third verse, it says, to the, it says here, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Moses, in flames of fire from within a bush. Now Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, First of all, I want to stop and say that's an unusual response. Most of the time, if we see a bush when we're down in the coolies that's on fire, we want to run the other way right? But he said, I want to see what's going on here. And I can also imagine him explaining it to his wife, Zipporah, later in the evening. You know, he said, well, I saw this bush. It was burning, but it wasn't on fire. And I can just hear saying, Moses, are you sure you didn't put some of those funny mushrooms in your sandwich this morning? You know, and, uh, uh, you know, she's killing on. And, you know, as he continues the story, she has even more to worry about because it gets worse because it goes on like this. It says, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from in the bush, Moses, Moses. And Zipporah says, and now the bush is talking, right? And so here he is in this thing. Now, one of the things I like about the Bible is there are little things in here that you can really know that it's truth and it comes and it's a real thing. And one of the things I've seen here is that have you noticed that God called Moses twice? I've noticed with men that once is never enough, right? Samuel, it took him three or four times before he figured out what was going on. And, you know, Moses was a guy, and sometimes us guys are a little slower to kind of get a grasp of the situation, and and we miss things as they go by. And if you don't believe me, there are some of you guys who are married who've already, since I've been speaking, nudged your wife and said, what did he say? Okay, back to Moses. So there he is, standing in front of this burning bush, which isn't burning. And now the bush is calling him by name. So Moses is trying to be kind of natural, cool. I mean, what what do you do when a bush starts talking to you? Right? So he, he says, well, here I am. It's a good thing to say, I guess. It's the best thing to say when a bush talks. But then the bush continues to speak. And it says, the Lord said, In verse 7, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them call out uh, because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out to that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, you, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I think Moses was pretty comfortable with the first part of this, right? Where God is saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I've heard that, I've seen that. And he gets to the very end and said, I'm going to deliver them, so you go. Uh, Moses is sitting there, 80 years old, leaning on his staff or his his, his shepherd's crook. And this was uncomfortable. It was a curveball for Moses to have this, now I am sending you thrown in there. And one of the things you need to realize is as you get older, this is one of the trials that happens when you get older, you have too much wisdom. (laughs) It's crazy because you get to know what you like to eat and what you don't like to eat. Right? You you get to know what works and what doesn't work. And Moses had already tried the deliverer thing in Egypt, and he knew he didn't like the deliverer thing, and he wasn't sure he liked Egypt either. And so all this stuff is going on, and you know, he found himself in a difficult position, and he did what we do when we find ourselves in difficult positions. He made an excuse. And this is the first thing he said to God right after that He said, God, who am I that I should go? So he tried the false humility response. Now, this is amazing coming from Moses because later on in his life, he gets known as the most humble man on earth. But right now, he's not showing that. It's, it's like, oh, God, you've got to, like, me? Little old me? Oh, no. Right? I mean, that, that's where he's at with it. And so, so God has to give him an answer. And this, do you want to, what God said to him? It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. And at that, I mean, Moses couldn't really say much to that. So he expressed his next concern. Verse 13 says this, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers who sent me uh, to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, in other words, he was saying, who are you? Right. If, if I'm supposed to be worried about not who I am, but who you are, who are you anyway? And can I trust you? Right. That, that's what was going on in his heart. And then God gave an answer. And in verse 14, it says, I am who I am. And my thought when I first heard this is this is very cryptic. I mean, if you've been in church, you may have heard this before. Right. And so it's not so cryptic. But I mean, if somebody came up to you and, and you said, what's your name? He said, you said, I am who I am. It's like you're, you're trying to be mysterious or something, right? It, it's trying, like you're trying to hold me. And even if it's in a situation like this where you're trying to, to learn to trust, you're trying to figure out a trust situation, it, it's like saying, don't bother about me, just trust me. I'm a burning bush, by the way, right? I mean, you can trust me. But what's really interesting is if you look into the original text of these words. You see, this statement here is the origin of the name of God, Yahweh. This was the name that the Hebrew people would call God from that point until this very day. It was a descriptive thing of who he was. And what God was telling Moses was some very interesting things because it was more than just what we see on the surface because there are definitely layers of meaning in what he said because the the Hebrew language is very interesting because it's... um, it's very creative and expressive. It, it uses pictures. It's kind of, even though the language itself as it's written is kind of a, a, a cross between, or a development, early development from hieroglyphics into what we would think of, of an alphabet and things now. So there's, there's lots of those pictures and things in it. And so when you look at stuff in Hebrew, sometimes it can go way deeper than what you actually think. And the first thing that God was telling Moses here is I am unique. I am who I am. I'm in a class all by myself. I am the original. There is no one who can compare to me. There is nothing to measure me by because there is nothing to measure me by. But it goes deeper because this phrase also means I will be whatever I need to be. And when you're having a trust issue, This is something you need to know, that God will be whatever you need him to be, that God will be the all-sufficient one, that God will be your provider, that God will be the one who will bring into existence everything that you need. But man, it goes deeper. It goes deeper than that because this phrase can literally be translated as I exist in order that everything that does exist can exist. That's deep. And so Moses, like me and you right now, is sitting there going, wow. And God just smiles as a bush can. And says, go. And so Moses, being the man of adventure we know him to be, comes up with another excuse. Says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Okay, Moses has a fair point here. Moses worked with sheep. Now, sheep can be stubborn, and sometimes they don't listen, and they like to go their own way just because they like to go their own way. And Moses had enough experience with people to know that we're exactly the same. And you can't force people to do what they don't want to do. Right? My grandfather used to say this to me all the time. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And it's the same thing with people. We can't, we can't, we can't force people to do something. So I think Moses kind of thought, okay, score one for Moses. Right? We've, got, we've got him here now. Um, I got, God can't, can't refuse this one. But, but God kind of looked at him and said, what's in your hand? Hmm. Moses looked in his hand, and he said, I have my staff. Now, can I tell you, this is not any unusual piece of wood. It's just a pointed stick, okay? That's all he had in his hand. But it was the basic tool of his life. It represented what he was good at, poking sheep and getting them to move, right? I mean, that, that's what he was good at. It also represented his security. It's what he leaned into when he was, when he was feeling tired, But God used it to do something miraculous, and I don't have time to go into that, but he went through a series of miracles where he took something that was very practical and ordinary and made it extraordinary. And one of the things that that we need to realize is when we are willing to offer God what we have in our hands, he can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Right? But we have to give it to him. After all that, Moses still wasn't done with his excuses. He said, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, nor in, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Well, he's been talking to God this whole time, right? But this is kind of a lie, can I tell you? And he's grasping at straws. here. He's trying to think of something. What can I say to get out of this? And if you look in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says this. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Okay, so this was Moses' reputation thousands of years later. Not when he was leader of Israel, but when he was a prince in Egypt, right? And so he could speak, he could do those things. But God, I love this, God doesn't squish him down and says, Liar, right? Or anything like that. He's just gracious with him. He says, says, who gave human beings their mouth? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I love that. Instead of, of, of beating him down, God extends grace and says, look, don't worry. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the right words. I'm going to give you the the right way to speak. Not just the right words, but the right way to speak. I'm with you. And then Moses offered his fifth and final excuse. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Someone else could do a better job than me. See, up to now, God had been dealing really graciously with all of Moses' excuses, but this last one made him angry. Do you want to know why? Why did God get angry at Moses? Because this was the story that he had created Moses for. This is what he had designed Moses to be. This was God's call to action. This was God's invitation to create something with him. Moses was telling God, that he thought he'd made a mistake. Moses thought his story was over and that God would be better off with somebody who's maybe younger, maybe smarter, maybe hadn't been sitting with sheep for 40 years. See, he had limitations that he'd put on himself. And because of his own poor self-talk, had stopped himself from stepping into his story. And what God had for him was beyond his wildest imagination. And can I say many times, we are like Moses. We will disqualify ourselves when all God is asking us to do is say yes and follow. Can you imagine what would happen if we said yes to the opportunities that God brought our way? Can you imagine if we didn't immediately disqualify ourselves when God invites us into his story. Can you imagine what would happen if we put aside our excuses and stepped up to create something amazing with God? Imagine if we were the people with the stories. And Today's takeaway is this. Every story begins with the word, yes. See, there was this young man named Peter. One day, his brother introduced him to this guy named Jesus. You may have heard of him. He said, why don't you just come and hang out with us for a little while? You know, Peter didn't have to go. Peter didn't have to say yes. He could have said, well, you know, I've got other things to do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm listening to John, or I'm, I've got my fishing boat to kind of get fixed up. But he said yes, and that moment changed his life. A few weeks later, Peter was out fishing all night in his boat, didn't catch anything. Jesus walks along the shore, says, hey, why don't you try one more time on the other side of the boat? You know, Peter didn't stop to think that a carpenter was trying to tell a fisherman how to do his job. He just threw it in. He said, yes. Got so many fish, his boat almost sank. In the middle of a violent storm, Peter looked out from his boat. And sees a figure walking across the water. That was bizarre. But he didn't say, who are you, like Moses. He said, is that you? Because he recognized that that was part of the story that God had for him. And he was the only of Jesus' disciples to walk on water. See, Peter was a man with stories because he has said yes. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the people with the stories and I want to feel like my life is counted for something, even if I'm the only person who knows about it. Andy Stanley wrote that he never felt the call to preach. Isn't that crazy? His friends did. He said, all my friends did, but I never did. And so he asked his dad, who was the pastor, do I have to have a call, or can I just volunteer? And his dad's response was, you can volunteer. And when you show up with whatever it is you have in your hand... You're saying yes and stepping into your story. And one of the things that I've found is that every story in my life has started with a yes. I've said yes when it seemed insignificant. I've had yes when I didn't know what was coming next. I've said yes even when I didn't know how to do what I was going to do. But I've discovered that every time you say yes, you open the door for a new story with God. And it doesn't have to be a big burning bush experience. It may be something something as simple as, yes, I'll help with children's ministry. Yes, I'll help with host team. Yes, I'll sweep up the mess on the floor. Yes, I'll serve food on the patio. Yes, I'll join a house party. Why? Because we see a need. Because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And because we want to say yes to doing something that we never thought of doing before. And when you say yes, You never know what's on the other side. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I want to thank you for your invitations to us. Lord, I thank you that we're coming into a season where we can step into stories that you have uniquely created for our lives. And Father... I just pray that you would give us the courage to not limit ourselves, but say yes to all that you have. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise. Amen. You know, one of the things that I found is the greatest adventures in my life have actually started with saying yes to God. And, you know, you may be here today and you may be thinking, God, who? Jesus, who? Or maybe you've heard about this Jesus. And, you know, the first step that we have in our adventure in life is often stepping in and saying yes to Jesus, yes to a friendship with Jesus. And, you know, maybe we haven't, as the church, always represented Jesus the best way we we can. And I'm sorry for that. Because the real Jesus is amazing. The real Jesus is here to bring you life. The real Jesus is here to bring you freedom. And, you know, we come up with all these excuses. We look at all the places like Moses where we screwed up. And Jesus said, I came to pay for those screw-ups. That's why I died on the cross. So that you could have freedom and really having that freedom is simply what Paul wrote when he said if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead you will be saved and it's just a simple thing but it's the first yes in a step in a journey with a friendship with God and today I want to invite you to take that step. And we're going to just pray a simple prayer, I'm going to get all of you just to pray with me. I'm going to get you to close your eyes, and just repeat after me, Jesus, I admit that I have screwed up, I can't save myself, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and I believe that God rose you from the dead to give me life. So today I choose. I choose to say yes. I choose to follow you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time and you meant it in your heart, I'd love you just to slip your hand up just to say, Jeremy, I said yes today. Thank you. Thank you. up again. Hey, if you made that decision today, or maybe you were sitting there and you're too scared even to put up your hand, but you said yes in your heart, there's a card in front of you. We'd love to hear from you and help you to walk in that story that God started. And if you can just fill that out, put that in the offering bucket in a few minutes, or scan the QR code and send us a note, we'd just love to hear from you.